Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. Tell your chico pit boomers to 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Welcome back for a brand new episode of The Witching Hour. I am Perry Nemiroff. I'm sitting with her. It always feels so unimportant to introduce ourselves when oh, we have yeah. such a cool guest. I'm Perry. This is Haley. Hi. And this is Brendan Mayer. What's up, man? How you hey, doing? How's it going? How is life? Happy to be here. How yeah. Life? I feel like I haven't seen you since our big uh, yes, new release we, showdown. Yes, we <laughs> had a showdown in the Schmodown. That was fun. It out. Yeah, that was fun. I think fun. that that and the Jurassic Park match were my two yeah. favorite to participate in. Yeah, well, it's like you were saying. We were talking just a minute ago about how like it's fun in the Shmodown when it's when it's specialized when it's something you know yeah. that you know a lot about and and uh, whoever wins wins. But you you're not worried that you're going to get like a string of like six questions about movies you have no idea. What exactly. Movie <laughs> release dates. Yeah, you really <laughs> surprised me too. I could not believe when you pulled out that Mortal Engines. Oh, I was yeah. like, who yeah. else but me has seen Mortal <laughs> Engines? You have. Yeah, yeah, that was funny. That was one where too, where I was like, oh, man, it's like they asked the question and I could not. I like I knew that I knew it, but I didn't know if I was going to get it in like the certain amount of time. And and I feel, I don't know. I feel like there's something to be. I feel like most of the time when you're watching any one of those Schmodown matches, it's like when someone's like burning all the questions to come up with it, they never come up with it. So <laughs> when you know to actually, it was cool. I had interviewed him too, and I yeah. was still sitting there like like Christian A B C. Yeah. Well, I'd heard a podcast actually at one point with. Um, Peter Jackson and and uh, talking about it, so I think that was partially why. Because right. he, I believe, Christian Rivers had worked on like the visual effects. Yeah, yeah, he was a VFX like guy before. Yeah. <sighs> so we're here talking talking the horror stuff. So mm-hmm. Where to even begin? No, you have a lot of good genre stuff. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, it's funny. I've started to think about that even more and more. Just like the last couple of years, how often sort of the stuff that I've done as an actress like dipped into genre stuff, which I'm happy about. But yeah, what and was the first horror movie you ever watched? Do you remember? Oh, the first one I ever, ever watched. Yeah. Wow, I can't remember. It's funny. I was on something recently, and I got a question about like what movie scared you as a kid, and I have this really um, 
distinct memory of seeing the Michael Keaton movie White Noise, which I don't think was my first horror film, but that's weirdly enough like the first one that I remember actually, which is not the first horror film I saw, but that's the first one where I actually like saw it in a theater and was like probably a little too young. And there's like this recurring image of like three faceless uh, figures. Yeah, yeah. He sees them in a car park and like, and for whatever reason, that's the one that I always think of of like actually being scared in my room. I which know is, how old you are. that near and dear. Trying to think. I would have been like like uh, six, oh, seven, yeah. eight, do something like that. Yeah, I was yeah. definitely not even in double digits at that point. So, <laughs> it really yeah. freaks me out how much my heart is warmed by like children having that first horror image like seared <laughs> yeah. in their brains right. for life. Are you still afraid of faceless figures? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Now I'm, I welcome I all faceless figures. I also remember I saw a play of Misery actually as well. Uh-huh. And I remember like that also like really freaked me out. A play of misery. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. like a different type of horror to process when you're young. Yeah. Like people do that to yeah. each other. Yeah. And I think there was something about it. It was in a theater in Edmonton where I grew up and it was a smaller theater and it was like very, very intimate, you know. Okay. They should bring misery back to Broadway. Yeah. I think I they got this, did a couple. I saw yeah. it. Did you see I it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With, uh, with Laurie Metcalf right. and yeah, Bruce yeah, yeah. Willis. Yeah, and yeah. it was I just love Stephen King, period, but yeah. the production design of that was insane. I think I told you about this, where they had the house built, and what they did was it was on a rotating platform, oh. and that's how you would get from room to room. Oh, that's cool. It, it was oh. one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Oh, wow. That does yeah. sound cool. Yeah, I would love to have seen that, but I never... Well, maybe I shouldn't, because it would have scared me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you could handle it now. Probably now I'd be fine, because she's not faceless, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, well, I am curious, like... Was acting always the thing for you, or was that an unexpected journey into acting when you were younger? No, it's, you know, no, it was never uh, unexpected, and it was always the thing. And it's kind of a funny when I talk about this, because I don't, I don't actually remember when I decided to be an actor. It was always there. Like, it's one of those things where you don't remember that those early years, and so when I actually remember being conscious, I remember wanting to be an actor. And my parents took me to a lot of like plays and stuff when I was a kid, but both my parents have never been involved in the film and TV industry at all. And they are lovely. Yeah, yes. Lovely humans. Yes, they're both they're both so wonderful. And that's what's amazing is they've both been so supportive of, of it at every step of the way, even though they themselves have no sort of connection to it. They always, they're of course totally joking, but they always are like, well, we took you to plays as a kid. Like we would have known. We would have taken you to the courtroom or the operating room. <laughs> hey, look, <laughs> be a doctor, be a, you know, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I think I really was really young and like, caught the bug. But yeah, I think it, it even like goes further back. Like my mom tells this story and she showed me the picture that we were going to a production of uh, like a kid's kid's production of Snow White when I was like four or five years old. And I like was dressed as a dwarf. And she goes, why are you dressed up like a dwarf? And I'm like, well, maybe they need another dwarf. You never know. <laughs> and, like, and like, actually, it was just funny. Um, but I don't remember that. You know what I mean? So That's it's like, awesome. it's a weird, I, I think I just always really loved stories and was always obsessed with, I had these, like, when I was really young, had these, um, it was a series of books called Great Illustrated Classics. And it was kind of easy to read illustrated versions of like really, really classic novels. Um, and so I just fell in love with stuff like that and, and yeah, theater. That's so and then, cool that they were so supportive because it's I, – I always think of it as you could say, like, I want to be an actor. Right. But it feels like a teeny tiny chance that someone could actually make a career in the field. So the fact that your parents were like, 
well, I met, do it. I met them at a Schmodown event, <laughs> so that feels like possibly the most supportive huh. parents could be, right? <laughs> that like that's so, so supportive. Happy. Yeah, it was funny. That week was so cool because it, it was the free for all, and that was also the same week as OA season two premiere. So oh. my grandparents were here too. Like, and my, actually, huh. my grandfather is really, really into film, and I think if it, it if you can trace it through. Like the bloodline at all. It's definitely my grandfather is like a huge cinema fan, and he's from uh, Scotland, and so he came over, like immigrated to Canada and stuff, and was like a French and a Latin teacher and stuff. And but I think if you know if it had made a couple different things, he probably might have been an actor or director or something. What or, kind of stuff did you guys watch together, you and your grandfather? Um, trying to think, a lot of a lot of old older stuff. I think uh, Lawrence of Arabia was a movie he really liked. Actually, the first. First time I watched The Godfather was like his DVD collection of The Godfather that he gave me. I think I watched it like his house. So yeah. So he was always, but he and I still always talk about film now. And he still, you know, he still watches like all the different new films and different, you know, he's always up to date on the Oscar stuff. When you were first starting out, did you ever picture what path your career was going to go down? Did you ever think like, I'm going to grow up and be an action star or anything like that? No, no, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think... I think I've always liked a very like wide range of genres and different types of films and theater. And so I think it was always just about being involved in stories were always very, very exciting to me because I think that's always the thing that I've enjoyed consuming the most. And so the idea of even being a part of any kind of story like that. And then, yeah, that was where it started, you know? And I think that as I got like older, now I'm like actually invested in cinema and and what it means and different styles and stuff like that. So I think I, I'm more um, analytical about it now, you know, and I actually can speak as like an adult about why I like it, but it, it always comes, I think, from that. It still sort of is like some six-year-old kids, you know, sometimes I feel, <laughs> sometimes I feel like, I, even though there's so many other reasons now, it does sometimes feel like I'm still on some six-year-old kids, like, I want to be an actor, and I'm still sort of, like, following that. <laughs> well, we we talked about this a little when we were in uh, New York for Schmodown. Mm-hmm. Like, you are a huge cinephile for an actor, which is not always the case. Is that, like, I have interviewed a lot of actors who love film and being in it, but they don't watch it constantly. Yeah, I think that is true, and and it's not even, like, I always think I'm like I think I think being an actor doesn't always require being yeah. a obsessive. You know, I mean, I always <laughs> think that it helps, but I think I've probably gone overboard just from my yeah. own personal. But yeah, it is kind of funny to me actually cuz like it, it, I feel like and there are some people I know, but but often as an actor the thing that other actor friends of mine will say is like, man, you've seen so many movies. You know what I mean? I think we're all actors. Like what are you talking about? But but yeah, it is it is funny the way the way not all actors are, um, like, obsessed with, like, the history of cinema and different genres and all this different stuff. Who's, like, the, the biggest fellow cinephile you've worked with? Well, I, to, to really, I mean, I think it m- might be uh, Nicolas Cage, actually, was the person that I found, that I realized that the most was. There's probably some other people that I'm forgetting, but he's the one that I remember the most. Like, movies would come up all the time on set when we were doing Color of Space, and, like, he'd be referencing things. Like, I remember, like, the first day he had those big glasses that he has in the movie, and he went up to the DP, and he's like, yeah, yeah, like, so Straw Dogs, Dustin Hoffman, <laughs> Straw Dogs, you know? And yeah. it's like, he's like, there's going to be big frames like Straw Dogs. And, and he would bring up stuff all the time, and... And that was really, really cool to see. And and it, it, I always was telling the story to somebody about how we were sitting around, and it was me, Richard, and Nick one time, and Apocalypse Now came up. And Nick was just like, oh, yeah, and Apocalypse Now, that opening with 
you know, the, the ceiling fan. And I thought, man, he sounds like the guy at your local video store. He doesn't <laughs> sound like someone whose uncle made the movie right. and who, like, knew Martin Sheen. And I thought there was, like, a purity to the way he talked about it that was really, really cool. I thought that might be the answer because that comes through in his interviews yeah. as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that dude loves cinema. Yeah, and it really, and it really came across, like, in person. That makes me so happy to hear. Yeah. It also makes me so happy to hear that like your your love of your craft and what you do comes from such a pure place. Because <laughs> yeah, it's not a requirement, but I definitely think that it comes through off the screen when you see someone who really like I don't know who really knows their shit and has that kind of passion for it beyond well, their own work and also loves what they're doing. I there you know some actors are so good they can walk through a role, but I think a lot of times the passion for it makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and it is, and it is as you were saying, it's it's a hard job to pursue and it's a it's you know it's a lot of rejection it's a lot of ups a lots of downs and yeah i don't know if i didn't have like the engine of like just passion and feeling like there's nothing else i could be involved in i don't know <laughs> if i would still be doing it you know because it's yeah. a lot of work how do you deal with the rejection and is there is there a role that kind of got away one one that you uh you saw the finished product that maybe even that you had a pass on for whatever reason and you're like i wish i had done that i think Thankfully, I don't think I've ever passed on anything that I was like, oh, man. But I there's a couple. I almost like don't want to get into specifics because I almost feel like it comes off poorly. Like, like yeah. I, I almost got this. But speaking about the idea of it, there's certainly been a couple of definitely a couple of parts that uh, I think. And I look, I've been very fortunate with the things I've gotten to work on and everything like that. But there's certainly a couple of things where I'm like, man, if that had gone and not and I didn't even blow the auditions, like did the best I could do. And for whatever reason, it just goes another way. And there are definitely a couple that still like I'm like, oh man, if I got that, then I would be in a different spot or Uh, things would be easier. And so, yeah, that is that actually is a real mental. And I, 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 you know, I talk to other actor friends and, you know, a lot of them have that, you know, a lot of people have that one role where they were, you know, reading for the director, chemistry reading with the big actor, and, like, it was very, very close. And, yeah, there's definitely a couple. But I think that that comes from that passion because it's, like, yeah, to come really close to getting, like, a great, great role and not get it, and then you a lot of times are back on, at square one again, you know, it, it, is, it is tough. Um, but if, if you have that passion, if you have that drive, if there's no plan B – then like, what else am I supposed to do? You know what I mean? Like it's sort of, there's almost a freedom in that. You know, it's like, what am I, I don't want, I'm not going to do anything else. And it's funny because I'm actually a big, big golf fan and I always compare uh, auditioning to to golf, which seems silly, (laughs) but when you, and I'll try to do it really quickly because I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. But the idea (laughs) is that every time you watch a golf tournament, there's like 128 guys in like every field. Mm -hmm. And... Golf is very much focused on, of course, there's money winnings and things like that. But for the most part, if you don't win the golf tournament, nobody cares. It really is one of those sports. Like, it it just is a fans. Like, there's no, no one really talks that much about finishing second. Yet, if you go into a golf tournament and you finish second out of 100 of the best people in the world, you've just proved so much. And you've just done such an impressive thing. But you really, in terms of bragging rights don't get that much you know so true. and and it yeah and it's so hard and I, I i follow the tour and they're like you know unless you're one of the biggest names they're like oh man he won his second event in like 20 years this is amazing or even some of the best people who aren't like tiger woods they win like 11 and you think that's probably a similar amount for an actor if you do 11 iconic great roles 
That's a, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot. Know, that's a lot. Yeah. I Do was the class A runner up back when I yeah, was a, yeah. when I was a young adult and but, nobody remembers. Yeah. <laughs> but going back to that, it's like you have to find that. I think you have to I look at it that way with auditions where if you get really, really close in a great part, you have to see it as somewhat of an accomplishment for yourself. Absolutely. And you have to go like, well, I still finished second, third, fourth, was in the mix. And something I did worked. And you have to kind of draw on that. And you have to take that into the next thing or else. Right. Well, I kind of on the same like there is an accomplishment in it. Have you found uh, circumstances where having been in that room opened up doors for future things? I I certainly I've certainly felt that that working on things has a lot, you know, and I can almost draw a line sometimes from each one, how they all sort of help the next one I think for auditioning I'm trying to remember if I ever I literally auditioned for somebody and then I was able to get back I think the biggest thing uh, that helps is also though with casting directors because you wind up with the same casting directors all over again so I'm trying to think I don't know if I've literally gotten a part where they were like we saw you audition two years ago and here you go hopefully (laughs) at some point but but I've definitely gotten situations where the casting director has you know I've come really close on something and then the next time I go in for them I feel like it's a little bit easier or they, they, they do, they remember that. Yeah. And well, so I, they either bring me straight to a callback or they don't, or they push it or it just, I've seen it happen a few times and I have gotten stuff because I feel like I had a better chance the second time. Right. right. So I guess so. Yeah. And the, the, I, I studied acting for a long time and I would read a lot of casting director interviews because mm-hmm. they're like the people you want to like you. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's so many times when they're like, well, we read him for this and he wasn't right, but I remembered him for this next. No, role. totally. Totally. And look, I mean, casting directors know what they're doing and I think directors really trust them. And I think that every part, the casting directors have people that they, they also go and find people, but they also have people that they know are really, really good. And I think who you, you know, getting on one of those lists of a casting director is very helpful because it, there's a lot of great actors. So if yeah. they've got five people, like if you're not one of those five people that they first suggest, like one of those five is going to be a great actor, not like all of them, <laughs> you know? True. So you're fighting an uphill, a bit of an uphill battle. So yeah, it's very important to make this connection. Very random, more like, like tech question, uh-huh. but do you find yourself doing more auditions, you know, digitally over Skype or anything, or is it still the tradition of, of going in and kind cause I like semi recently, I went not for an acting audition, but mm-hmm. I went in for like a hosting gig mm-hmm. at some point and it was the, it was just like the weirdest and thing. And I, I know it like, I went into a building and I just stood in a, bare room in front of a camera and it's like I'm saying the words that are on the monitor but I'm like what am I doing how do actors do this all the time yeah yeah it's tricky I mean I I have done a couple over Skype which is also which is also bizarre where you're like somewhere and they're like on Skype and you're like can they even see what I'm doing but uh yeah it's still it's still pretty similar I mean I think that technology has moved forward a lot in the like you know 15 years or whatever that I've been doing auditions, you know, in a professional capacity. And like, uh, but I think the, the whole going into the room is kind of the same. I think you tape a lot more now though. Yeah. I think people welcome that so much more because it's so much easier. The one thing that's changed a lot is I've noticed like when I first started, you always had to bring in your headshot and resume. Mm. And now it's like, you never do because it's all on the internet, you right. know, and it's all on you're your just eyes. like adding it's like to the, the clutter idea. by bringing yeah, it Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think, yeah, and you're adding, exactly. You're adding to like paper and all this stuff. So <laughs> yeah, it, that's the one thing I've noticed where like, I feel like, oh man, like <laughs> they don't even take them. Like, I'm not professional enough. enough to have a headshot, but I walked in like with my resume in a manila folder. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. what, what year am I in right now? What am I doing? And professionalism is always a good look. Yes. <laughs> I remember the very, when I first, first started at Edmonton when I was like very young, like 11 or 12, 
to get like the sides for the audition, I'd have to like go to the agent's office and take it out of a Dropbox because email wasn't like that oh, like yeah. sophisticated. Look at where oh. we've yeah. come. <laughs> so wait, wait, because now I have to do this. Tell us about your new your new Apple TV. One, why did you buy it? And two, what are you watching on it? Uh, oh, okay, so yeah, I have my I have my uh, uh, Apple TV, which is great. And like I was talking <laughs> about before, it's like this voice command thing is uh, you realize when you have the voice command thing that the physical remote is going to be gone like so soon, you know? Um, uh, but yeah, I've just downloaded all the base stuff. I have the, I really like the, I have the Criterion channel on there. Mm. So I watch a lot of, I like watching a lot of older stuff and like foreign stuff and things like that. And uh, I have, but I have Amazon and Netflix and those are kind of the three. Those the, I, I'm actually using Masterclass a lot lately. Like I did oh, like nice. the Aaron Sorkin oh. Masterclass and yeah. Very nice. Yeah, I've on those and they're very easy too. They're like 10 minutes a lot of the time and you can like watch it on the go and I, I gotta get into only that ever more. bought the uh, the Steve Martin one because I'm oh, a bit yeah. obsessed with Steve Martin. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. was like, what's a class by him like? And you, it was lovely. Actually, you know what's actually, have you seen um, the David Mamet movie? I think it's called The Spanish Prisoner. Oh, you heard of this? Golly, it's yes. super under the radar, but yeah. I just, I was, that was like such an interesting Steve Martin performance. I don't remember because he takes away, he plays sort of like a, I don't want to give away too much, but he plays a character that feels a little uh, nefarious and it's such a cool performance because he takes away like all the things about Steve Martin that are, like, warm. Right. And it's really, really interesting. I'm putting he's this on the queue right very now. very talented. Yeah. Like, we know he's one of the comedy greats. Yeah. I always, I always think about him in Shop Girl, too, where he's I've not... I've seen that one, but yeah. Uh, it's not that he's not warm, but mm-hmm. he's not rocking the charisma. As yeah. Like, it's a very... Like, a light, gentle burn as opposed to his regular, like, flame. Yeah. I'm just scarred for life by his performance in Little Shop of Horrors, for obvious oh. reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Severe fear of the dentist. Oh, no. That, that, See, that didn't problem, help. That didn't a help. a problem for me since elementary school. <laughs> that is, yeah. It is like Perry's that and bees just don't. Oh, bees. It's oh, so weird. Yeah. Don't I still, like, I can't make any sense of it because nothing. <laughs> did you see locally on the news, too? There was a swarm here recently <laughs> and a whole oh. bunch of people got injured. Yeah, I actually, I actually am worried about, I'm worried about bees. Okay. Yeah, you I make me too. feel better that I'm not alone in that. I'm worried, worried about the bees. I know. Yeah. I know. Oh. <laughs> and deep down, I know that's the real problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. just, you know, but in the a, irrational fear yeah. box. Yeah. That's, I know, that's, that's I know, it's, I know, I know it's totally irrational, but I think I, there was some there's some book I read as a kid that was like a children's story. I think it was like, and it was about like two kids and like one of them got a beast thing and like died because and like so oh, it's like it's always like been my, girl my it is but it's not okay. it's called something else it's called like it was about a taste of blackberries or something it's <laughs> no. some kid i'm serious it's some so kid story it's, yeah it's some kid story and it's like about these kids and it's like it's so funny the things you watch when you're really young it's they like true. sear in your yeah. mind yeah I, I don't know why i'm randomly bringing this up but i read one book as a kid where it was like like the whole book was written like cdb <laughs> And it's like, you know, like the letter C. Oh. D B E Z B E Z B Z B. Is Perry having a stroke? No. It's worse than Everyone's going to think that they're a uh, sound cut out. They're going to be like, what it's happened? It's written in letters. Like, I, I don't know why I'm like first thinking of that right now, but I swear it was a book that I used to read as a kid. Maybe that's why I like puzzles now. We gotta That's find this book for your, uh, for your niece. <laughs> oh um, okay, was there a was there a point in your career where you felt like easy oh, this beasy. is a career, <laughs> where, like easy beasy bee? <laughs> where you're like this is a career now? I I don't have to maybe like have a backup plan to study law or something like that. Um, was I, there a project that kind of pushed you over to like this is real now? 
I think it happened in sort of like stages. Uh, the first one that really, I think, changed the whole trajectory was I did this kid sitcom called Mr. Young in Vancouver when I was like 16 years old. And it went for like 80 episodes. It was like the first multicam sitcom that they did in like Vancouver. And that got, like I was living in Edmonton and then I moved there and did that for a few years. And that, and that gave me like a little bit more of like stability, I think, in terms of just, I had a, a little bit more money and then I was in Vancouver. And, and then I think that, and then I think the thing that kind of really helped was the OA now has helped me kind of do that now in L.A. where I'm in L.A. and I can kind of, you know, afford to be here and I have something on my resume and it helped me get my I have a green card now because that's sort of the un, under talked about thing that is really challenging as like a Canadian actor is it's it's you really have to uh, get a visa to begin with. Yeah. But a lot of places won't get you a visa uh, unless they have enough money to. Like, you're not going to get a guest star. No one's going to give you a visa for a guest star role or for probably even recurring unless it's a really big recurring role or some indie movie. So you're in this weird sort of cycle where when you're a Canadian actor and you're trying to break into the American market, you have to somehow get a project where it's big enough that they'll pay for the visa but not too big that or not too big that they just go with somebody else, you know? Like, yeah. it, it, So it's it's a really actually an interesting thing, that a challenge that... That happens. And the first thing I got a visa on was this Nickelodeon pilot. And it was just that perfect thing where, and it didn't even wind up going, but it was kind of that perfect thing where it was a big enough thing. It was like one of the series regulars on this pilot, but they weren't like, you know, offering it to the biggest names. And they was like, they're looking for kids, right? And then actually the guest, the movie The Guest helped me out. I think that I got my second visa for that. And then I was able to kind of have an open visa. And now I have a green card, but. We love the guest. Oh, yeah. my God. Too much. I'll never forget seeing that for, for the first and second time because I think I went twice at nice. South by Southwest. Oh, South by Southwest, uh, yeah. premiered. That was, uh, yeah. I have this this wonderful slash terrible habit of finding one movie that I love so, so mm-hmm. much that I watch it over and over <laughs> rather than watching new things at yeah. festivals like that. Um, That's cool. Yeah, they just did another. They've been doing screenings at the Alamo Draft House, and I just went and did, like, help by moderated a Q&A with oh me my and God, Adam Wingard. And so we, great. It was really, it was wild to see, like, we did two screenings, and they were both pretty much sold out you, all these years later. Do you guys later. keep in touch? Uh, with, yeah, with Adam and Simon. Uh, I, yeah, I kept. I hadn't seen Adam in a little bit, but we keep in touch, and so I saw I saw him, and then I see Simon pretty frequently too. And then uh, Jess and uh, Keith Calder, who are the producers and who also did like Blind Spotting and a couple of other things, they, they I keep in touch with them too. I probably see them every now and then, but I'm always kind of in touch. So, Do yeah. you find that you keep in touch with the folks that you work with? Because I know some some out there, and not that this is a good or bad thing, but some you know a project is done and then they move on. Yeah, I think there's probably there's a I say, like, I keep in touch with a lot. I think that as far as seeing people all the time, (laughs) it's a smaller list uh, just because people are so busy. But I'd say that uh, anything that I've worked on for a long period of time, there's got to be at least, like, three or four people, maybe maybe that, at least two people from each one that I'm still, like, in contact with or or is a really, really great friend or something like that. It uh, certainly from social media seems like the OA crew got pretty close. That's, yeah, that's a great example, especially the four, the four guys, like me, Ian, Patty, and Brandon all kind of still hang out, and I'm in touch with all of them, and, and so that was really, really great. And those four guys, and it's funny the way the OA worked, right, because the plot lines were so sort of spread out, so, and everybody did get to meet everyone and interact with one another, but everyone was in their own little ecosystem so you didn't get to bond as much with all the other people just because you weren't physically on set with them but the four of us were kind of a group from the beginning you know we showed up early and we were there like in new york they shot the first season in new york we were there for a whole month to learn the movements like before we even shot yeah that's to learn those like crazy wild that was i actually 
thought I was, I mean, I was sort of kidding in my mind, but also I was genuinely scared I was going to get fired when I got there the first day <laughs> because the movements are like so complex They're and I, I'm not, I'm not a good uh, dancer. Like I've never really come from a dance background or any kind of move, <laughs> movement background <laughs> at all. Uh, and I got there the first day and there was one specific thing which they actually changed. I don't think because I had did badly. It was like, but it was like you had to flip your hands like this and I just, it was like the second movement and I was like, is it this or I can't get and the dance instructor was like, No, 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 you can't use your brain. You have to feel it. You can't and you can't talk about it. And I was like Help I'm me. getting fired. Like I was like, get out of my mind. I'm like, this is like the first day and I was just like I was just like, oh no. Like very I'm, just, hard. I'm I'm gonna get fired. When I go through like an OA obsession, because mm-hmm. I watch it more than a human <laughs> should and I'm still not okay with what happened and um uh, we'll get to that. Yeah. But uh <laughs> when I'm in one of those periods and I have a little too much to drink, sometimes I will try to learn <laughs> the movements and it's very hard. Well, I know what I'm challenging <laughs> you to the next time we have a, a beer or something. Tough. Oh boy. Yeah. No, they're they're tough. And I, you know, it, 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 yeah, it was very, very challenging, and it was it was an aspect of uh, you know because I'm never I have no aspirations to be in like a Broadway musical, you know, like I have no aspirations to dance and sing and anything, and so so uh, yeah, when it was like when it when I got this part, and they're like, and also now you have to learn complicated choreography. I was like, come on, man! Like, I just wanna- <laughs> if you could play a role, like if you could play a character who is a professional fill in the blank, so you gain their skill set, uh, what would it be? Oh wow. So I could gain their skill set. I don't know. I mean, it would be great. I always have these ideas of like playing some kind of like professional athlete, like a boxer or something. So they make me get into mm-hmm. great shape once. Right. And it happens like one time. The Marvel makeover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be forced to do that. You once. Can maybe be a pro golfer. Do you, do you oh. golf yourself or you just watch? <laughs> the punchline of the story is always, no, I don't golf that much. But I'm, always, I'm like the only person. No, I, I do... Uh, I um I do sometimes, okay. but I don't as much as I should, considering it's how a much big commitment. Yeah, yeah, it is a big commitment. Maybe one day I, I do. Yeah, speaking of playing a golfer, though, I definitely like it's a secret dream of mine to one day make like the the next great golf film because I think there's like untapped there's potential. There's not enough, there. and there's untapped potential there. But I have I have like I have my ideas of like how to make it make it work. And I think what's interesting about golf films is like there's a golf course in like every city in america like the fact that but it's hard to dramatize you know so but there's ways i think do you so do you want to like direct that or would that be a a vehicle for you to act uh i guess it depends i mean i've definitely done a lot of writing uh in the last few years i'd say that's the thing that i've done i'd like to direct but i've only i recently directed a short film which was great actually so i'm getting back into it but uh but i've definitely spent a lot of time writing in the last two or three years nothing that's come out yet but i, I kind of am doing my own private Film school, you know, where I write something and then show it to a few people that I've worked with, and then they tell me it's terrible, and I go back, to, you, know, That's great. I, you know, which is great. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's really helpful, and it's a lot more. Uh, this sounds like, and I don't mean this to sound like I thought it was going to be easy, but it's way more difficult than I actually thought to like write a screenplay, and like you wind up making so many like little mistakes at the beginning, and and I just I I, I feel like it's been a really interesting learning experience where you come up with these great ideas and then because I've actually tried to devote a lot of time to physically writing a lot of things I think I've gotten from like page one to the end about like six or seven times on feature scripts Mm. like that I've gotten through and that's a lot though yeah yeah it's but it's what's funny is that like it's amazing how maybe some people just hit it out of the park the first time but it's just been amazing like writing stuff and then showing it to people and and realizing like oh man like 
follow like any of the rules of story <laughs> at all. Like, and it's like it's weird, you know. What's the most helpful piece of feedback you've gotten? Most helpful piece of feedback that I've got for the other aspiring writers who don't know what they're doing. Yeah, this one. Uh, I think I I, I think. It's hard to say if it's a specific piece of advice, but the thing that I've learned the most is that I think that there are very clear ideas about story structure, about like first, second, third act and the characters like motivation and all this different stuff that you can read. And I think like for a while I was always like, "Mm, but how do you sort of like take that and actually like you're just you have to write the story somewhat by feel. And it was harder and harder. Like I'd watch movies and I'm like, I don't really see that in movies that I'm watching anyway like I can't point to this stuff but funnily enough like it it actually is very very helpful once you have I think once you have something I think that's actually I think it's kind of hard to start with that in a weird way Mm -hmm. but what I've noticed is that oftentimes you'll write a script and then when you apply that kind of metric to it you can help it because you'll be you'll have all these ideas and you'll have this character and like you'll see it and then you go oh, you know what, like, it, it would be helpful to shave this stuff off so that this exactly happens here. And I listen to this podcast, uh, well, I listen to Script Notes, the podcast a lot, with Craig Mazin and John August, and um, he kind of, like, broke down Finding Nemo in a really, really interesting way. And then there's this other video, uh, which is um, Michael Arndt, who's, like, Little Miss Sunshine and stuff like that. He uh, he breaks down, like, the, what he learned from... It's, like, literally a five-minute video. You can find it online. And a friend of mine turned me on to it. And he show, he basically breaks down how every Pixar first act is, like, a brilliantly constructed first act. And he compares... I think it's Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, and the first Toy Story, which you look at them and you think, well, those are all bold, original ideas. They couldn't be more different and then you realize that they basically all follow the same structure. And mm-hmm. I think that was really a big eye-opener for me where it's like just because I'm following the same structure doesn't mean that it's going to turn out like every other movie right. that I've seen. You know, and I think that there's sometimes that fear, especially someone like me who watches so many movies. I think I'm always like, you know, I'm so conscious of what's been done. And I think <laughs> to see that there was a structure that was followed in three movies that you you can't say, oh, the beginning of Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, and Toy Story are all the same, right? Yeah. I have to watch that before yeah, I go see Onward tomorrow morning. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you should. And yeah. It's literally – It's what's great about that video is it's like five minutes. It's not even – it was like a five-minute video, and it just was like, oh, or maybe it's ten. And you, it was just like, oh, wow. And then you can – yeah, you can see of Onward. Is <laughs> there Onward. anywhere we can watch the short you directed? Well, I, I just did it. So I'm actually oh, editing okay, it right okay. now. Oh, yeah, cool. I did. It was great. Yeah, I've wanted to jump back into directing for a while because I did a short a long time ago when I was younger – and just for whatever reason, pursuing acting things, like, never got together. And a friend of mine, Emily McCourt, who's an actress in Toronto, uh, wanted to do something as an actress. And she actually brought me on to direct it. So it's huh. really cool. And it was uh, – it's, like, about these two friends who are out – and we filmed it in, like, the Badlands I'm in Alberta. I'm looking at some images yeah, yeah. on IMDb, and they're they're pretty stunning. Yeah, it was really cool the way that it all worked out. And it's, like, about these two friends and sort of reconnecting, like, in their, like, early 30s. And they were really, really interesting, like – uh, characters and I don't even want to say too too much, yeah, yeah. but I, I uh, it was uh, it was really really fun and it was really challenging and it was great because I only found the script and it was actually written by another good friend of mine, Calla Wright, and it was probably like way more ambitious than I would have chosen to do for my mm-hmm. next direct. It was like twenty we had to do like twenty four pages and like three days outside and it was like a lot and it was like I was like ah, <laughs> but I actually learned a lot more and what I really realized, which was an interesting uh, learning experience, was a lot of times when I was forced. When I ran out of time, I wound up having to be more creative. And, like, it it, it was a good lesson Mm -hmm. to learn if I hopefully continue to direct is, like, 
there was like one scene where they were in a car and I was like, I'd (laughs) because I was trying to, you know, I was also trying to make sure everything ran and we got all the right footage and I wasn't trying to like, I wanted to make sure we, I had like written like three simple shots, (laughs) you know, I was like, let's just get three simple shots for this. And we didn't have time. And so we got to do something much more interesting where we were like in the backseat and you could see their eyes and like the mirrors and it was just more interesting. And so it's something to learn. I think I learned a lot on it. So even with all of your acting experience, is there anything that as a director made you think, you know, I've been in front of the lens this entire time. How did I not realize that this was done this way ooh, this was done this way trying to think if there was something technical that i learned i mean the thing that i learned was just the, the that it's a very different kind it's such a different kind of mental grind directing because as an actor you're constantly sort of like managing almost like these peaks you know you you come to set and you have a scene where you have to yell or where you have to be sad or even just a very simple scene where you have to be natural the whole day is is making sure that you're in the right headspace to sort of like do that sprint, you know? So it is a marathon, but you're also working towards these sprints. Whereas even just directing something for three days, you feel every second of the day. And you don't necessarily have specific spikes in pressure. You might actually have time where you don't have anything to do for half an hour. But that half an hour you're spent going, Why? like, what's going on? What's going on? <laughs> and you feel, I couldn't believe it. You feel every second of the day. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it was just so funny to me. It was such a different kind of, kind of grind. Because there's times where you're on, a, you're on set and you're an actor and you're sitting around with the other actors and they go, hey, you know, we're not going to do the scene right away. It's going to be another 45. And you're just like, unless it's a really tough scene, you're probably just like, okay, <laughs> all right, it's another 45 minutes, all right, okay, that doesn't mess up what I'm doing, you know, I'll just make sure not, you know, whatever. Uh, and as a director, you know, 45 minutes go by, you're just like, oh my God, like, you know, it's like a complete disaster. <laughs> like watching the sunset Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. You just wind up like pacing around and like, What's the uh, what's the onset vice like? What do you do when you get super stressed or you know just operating at an eleven as a director the entire time? What do you reach for to kind of chill out a little? Afterwards or during it? <laughs> Maybe both. <laughs> it could be two different things in those categories too. I think I probably didn't chill out or not. I mean, I didn't. I didn't get heated or anything. But I just I feel like uh, yeah, that those three days I was basically just sort of like. Just pacing around, walking around, you know. And you try to, I guess you try to like plan ahead as much as possible, which doesn't mm-hmm. sound like a way to chill out, but it helps you. It helps you later, I think. I get it. I love because to I think, calm down by doing more work personally. It sounds silly, but like it is one of those funny things where if you if you can do it in a way where like it, you know, there's nothing more frustrating than when you've had 45 minutes and you're sitting around waiting, and then you have to do something, and then you're like. Oh my gosh! I'm also not prepared, right. <laughs> and then you get more <laughs> mad because you're like, I waited. Whereas I waited around for 45 minutes, and now it's even harder. Whereas yeah. if I would have done, which is you know, yeah, I'm an overprepare. I get it, but now yeah. I'm not going to let you get out of that second half of that question. What is the the vice after the fact? <laughs> oh man, I'm trying to think. I mean, those days it was just going home to sleep. But I mean, for me, it's funny because I'm a fan, such a fan of movies and stuff. A lot of times, film is actually the vice that mm-hmm. can get me out. It's weird. It's it seems weird sometimes. I think even to me, but. Yeah, if I have like a audition that I didn't feel like went very well or or there's something about the industry that's stressing me out, a lot of the times a movie can actually get get my mind off it sometimes, yeah. you know. Do you have a go-to feel good movie? I don't like Park. I don't, <laughs> I don't think so. It's funny, you know, it's funny you're talking about watching the same <laughs> movie over and over and over again because I've only just recently started to just rewatch. I mean, I I kind of was always so obsessed with watching something new. Mm-hmm. 
And I think when I was really young, and <laughs> I remember being like so young, like 13, being like, why rewatch a film? Like, I literally said that <laughs> I was like, I was like, not like literally ever, but I was like, you know, come on. I mean, you know, you've seen it, you know what happens, you know what you thought about it. Um, and now I'm like getting into like, my, now being like my mid 20s, I'm like, oh, like, man, I don't even really remember what happened in that movie from like five or six years yeah. ago. Like, there's so, and now I'm really enjoying going back and rewatching things because it always blows my mind. So to answer your question, I I don't know if there's a movie, but I think my favorite genre is actually like the like the almost like the detective genre or the thriller genre. I, I always find that's like my the thing that I find the most the most comforting. Mm. It's like some kind of like mystery or like a murder or like some kind of high like I just I I always feel like that's the thing that is easiest for me to relax when there's that engine because I like other films as well, but I always feel like it's just something with that engine of like Saying a murder mystery is the way to relax is probably the exact statement you should make in this room. Right now. <laughs> exactly. It's, exactly. Like, it's like whenever I need to like lose myself and turn off, I'm either watching Jurassic Park yeah. or Scream. So oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just certain things like they just kind of like I think that's what's great about, you know, great genre filmmaking is that there's there's a real ride component to it, right? There's something that's very exciting and you actually do feel taken away, even if it's just like because, yeah, it's even if it's something as simple as, like, a courtroom drama. I went through a period where I was watching a lot of those for a little while. And, like, there's just something nice about being, like, did they do it or not? I don't know. And I'm going to find out. And then, you know, it's like there's something really refreshing about that sometimes where you're just, like, you kind of know what's going to happen. And you can kind of – but you don't know either. I think that's what's great about thrillers is that it's a genre that – you can see the same formula a million times, but you can always be surprised at yeah. the end of it, right? If it's done well. I feel like you're the kind of person, I'm just making this assumption now, that finds <laughs> like the good in even the worst movie. Like you can always find something positive about it. Is that true? That sounds like you. Um I think except the kitchen, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can even see good in the kitchen. I'm trying to think now uh, of, of what no, I have answers to that, actually. <laughs> I, 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 I definitely do try try to do that, too. Yeah, I, I definitely am. But I also like to do the opposite, too. Like, I like <laughs> to, like, I, even the movies that I really, really like, I do like to try to be, like, hard, hard on them as yeah. well. You know, because I feel like there is also a thing of, like, I feel like I'm both in that I pretty much enjoy every movie I watch and I can find the good in it. But I do feel like I'm one of those film watchers where... If something's, like, really off, it is a little harder for me to forgive it. Like, I'll talk to people where they'll be like, yeah, I really didn't like, like... The whole way the third act ended, but what a great film! I'm like, wait, wait, no, no, no! Like, I'm like, it, no, I, like those lasting 15 minutes derailed it. Like, you know, what were you rooting for at the Oscars? I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I, I it's funny because a lot of my favorite movies of this year actually were stuff that was up there. I think, I mean, I was probably, even though I think I might have liked The Irishman a little bit more, I was rooting, and I like Marriage Story a lot too. I was probably rooting for Parasite yes. just because I love, I love so much foreign cinema and especially like a lot of Asian cinema I've been watching recently. And I do think it's, it's exciting for the Oscars to award foreign language films. You know, it's, it's with the best picture Oscar. I think it's just so exciting because the Oscars really is like uh, an internationally revered award. And I think it means something to filmmakers of every country. And so I think it's, I think if this is ushering in sort of like a new era where those types of films are like as far, I mean, when I have a foreign language film in my top, at least top 10, like every year, you know, there's at least one, if not mm -hmm. many, many, many of them, but there's at least one every year. So, you know, obviously we, I'd love to see more win, but I'd love to see a foreign language film get nominated like every year for best picture. Right. Cause I feel like, you know, 
Yeah. Probably should be. Yeah, because there's specific genres too that they say never get recognized, like horror mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. But which which would be nice to see as well. But I think foreign films is even so much broader. I mean, we're talking about the whole world, so it's exciting. I mean, every year there should definitely be something that kind of breaks through. So that was what was exciting to me. Yeah, I was. Uh, I didn't. I was in New Orleans and we couldn't get the feed to work mm-hmm. at the place we were staying, so I was sort of keeping up on Twitter. Yeah. But even just. Watching all the parasite wins happen that way yeah. was like such a joyful, cool, unusual experience. Yeah, it was cool. And Bong Joon Bong Joon came off so great, and yeah. all that. He's such. He seems like such an awesome guy. Delight. And like when he gave Marty Scorsese a shout out, and then they all stood up. Like he got Scorsese got a standing O, like in his acceptance speech. And that was one of the craziest <laughs> things I've ever seen. It was so awesome. It was a good ceremony. And don't worry, you caught up on Janelle Monae's performance, so we're yeah, all yeah. okay. Yes, yes. Thank you for making sure that I did. <laughs> Always got your yeah. back with that. <laughs> I, um, let's talk a little more about uh, Color Out of Space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, just, let's uh, talk about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm just very curious reading that script right off the bat because so much of what makes that movie special to me and stand out is all the stuff that might be accomplished in post and right. cutting it together, especially right. when we're talking about you know the horror genre and the effectiveness of editing, score, sound design, all of that. So what was your first impression of the script and then... What did you wind up thinking when you saw the final cut? Yeah, yeah. So the script, certainly. There was a little bit of a lookbook that accompanied the script where they Mm -hmm. talked about some of the stuff they were going to try to do with the color. So it was obvious that they definitely had an an idea of what they wanted to do. Richard had an idea and the whole kind of thing was behind it. And I I, I definitely – but what's great about the script is that it definitely a lot of the crazy wild stuff such as like – spoiler alert, like the the fusing and things like that is there and you kind of like read it and you kind of know that it's definitely – the stakes are being upped in a really, really exciting wild way. But yeah, I think you you read a line in the script and I think it's – Ward sees a glimpse of the alien world where the color comes from. It's unlike anything you've ever seen. You think that wh- that could be anything. Like, you, yeah. know, you really you don't know, right? And I mean, I had so much faith in the Richard and the producers and stuff, so I wasn't worried. But yeah, you do read that in the script. You're like, I'm, I, like I can't even <laughs> speak to what this is going to be, right? Um, so yeah, it was amazing. I mean, the first time I di- I saw it was at the Toronto Film Festival premiere. That's the first time I saw it, and uh, it was uh, it was awesome. It was really overwhelming. And you're right. I think that it was really elevated by score and editing and different things and and so that was that was really really cool and performance <laughs> oh yeah just a little bit of that yeah but, uh, yeah i mean <laughs> seriously though. but that kind of stuff I, mean, I think a, a lot you know it was a great ensemble of of actors and i just think like just from my perspective everyone else was so locked in and so great from the beginning that it, and i think that helps because you almost have to have both right you have to have you know, and I think Richard, as a director, did a good job of balancing both of these. But you have to have a visual vision and a sensory vision for how the horror is going to like impact mm-hmm. you and overtake you. But then you do need actors and a dialogue that that feels real, and you need people to like buy in and. And they have to care about the people or it yeah. doesn't work. And 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 you as like the actors have to care about it. As if I remember when we were doing the scenes where there's been like the two family members have fused together, and it's very like traumatic and. I remember talking to Madeline um, Arthur, who plays Lavinia, and we were saying, like, wow, like, we kind of have to play this. Like, this might be kind of, like, funny in, like, a weird, <laughs> crazy, like, midnight way in a, to an audience, right? Like, you might – you some of this stuff might get a laugh. You never know when she, like, is licking stuff out of the bowl. Or at the very least, you're going to get right. a, oh, oh right. what's going on? <laughs> but – but like, and there's like, there is a black comic energy running through the whole thing. I think at different times. But as an actor, like, you have to buy in like full on that you're like at your mother's like deathbed, right. you know. And that's a really interesting 
challenge, I think, as an actor where you're like, I have to like take this as seriously as if I'm doing like a, a, a serious drama where, you know, it's all about this mother who's sick. And, and, and so that was really, really, even though, you know, it's going to be a lot more wild and there's going to oh, be God, all this crazy yeah. stuff. What, it, what it scared you in general? Like, I just, just want to say real quick, it translated though, because I did not laugh at that scene. No, no, I totally, totally. I didn't, I didn't laugh. Laugh. I, I, no, no, intense. no, no, no. And, and yeah. but that's the thing about the tone is that once you, once I saw it, I realized like, okay, wow, like it really did play in the way that it felt, which yeah. is awesome. Oh yeah, and, that, and I'm, I was glad to have it play that way. That but. is mighty freaky, just because I think of the tone that they set mm-hmm. the entire time. Yeah, but also, yeah. do, like going back to how good the performances yeah. are, a movie like that doesn't work unless that core family comes together totally. right at the very beginning and establishes all their unique relationships with each other that you guys do very well but i wanted to know what what scares you in the horror movies that you watch in general and what is it like seeing something like those fusion scenes on set i mean you know you assess how it might be viewed from an audience perspective but what's what's the first glimpse at the practical effects for you like yeah, I mean, it's over. It was interesting. There was some good practical effects on the set, too, which was cool. There was actually some things. But yeah, when you see it all together and they're like literally fused and things like that, it's it was definitely um, tr- <laughs> troubling. Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah. I'm trying to think about using what scares me in, in films. Yeah. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think. I, I, I had this, you know, weirdly enough, going back to like things, and it's so funny how the things that happen to you in like the first like five or six years of your life define like things that scare you but for whatever reason like my biggest fear as a kid was like the specter and it, look you have to tell you have to tell your kids this everyone should but like the specter of the stranger you know mm-hmm. like the stranger who is gonna come and like you know get you get me you know yeah. like it's silly but like i seriously remember that was probably my most profound fear at like five or six years old that like there was a, a stranger out there and so i think it goes back to like the faceless thing i think the things that scare me the most are sort of like the unseen force that can do you harm but mm-hmm. often the things that scare me the most are like when it does manifest itself in like a, a person there's something very troubling to me about a, a person mm-hmm. i can understand even that. if they're possessed by a demon or something like that it's like that i think those are the things that scare me the most i always assume that my my like knee-jerk response to that question because i always Haley knows this i always like to play like how would you survive in a zombie apocalypse right. or something, <laughs> something like that and i'm always like i could run away and do something like physical to uh-huh. save myself but when it comes to paranormal entities right, right, that right. like i can't process fully in the movie or just in general i feel like when i can't defend myself that's what burrows its right. way into my brain and makes me think that i'm screwed <laughs> i get i get both like in films what actually gets my blood going and the heart rate up and the chills is paranormal stuff mm-hmm. in the like life i am terrified of humans yeah because yeah. <laughs> they will kill you <laughs> yeah and i've never met a ghost but i've met many humans <laughs> you had like had ghosty experiences. I'm no? not really the person for right. it. I'm, right. I. It's not that I don't believe. I'm just like the person who has no thank you energy. Mm-hmm. Oh, you said I'm not into it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I got too many things to do. I've yeah. got all of like the the yes please energy, but no one's listening to me. <laughs> You're like, please, <laughs> someone, like, ghosts, what's, please. What's, what's going on? Haunt me. <laughs> <laughs> you play a little hard to get with the ghosts. Yeah. They, you know, you have to play a little more cool. I guess. I maybe, maybe. I'm gonna start. <laughs> <laughs> like my next door neighbor who could see into my living room window is just gonna see me like strutting around the apartment, like pretending I'm not trying to conjure something now. <laughs> and then you're gonna talk. Next week, they'll be like, you know, there was a ghost in my apartment. Like, you? You? I've been. 
was like, yeah, it was just, it was just, I felt Caught it. The wrong it was just, address. You know, I don't know. <laughs> oh, so let's, uh, let's get into some like upcoming stuff for you. What's, yeah. what's, um, what's new? What are you working on? It's yeah. like I've got the IMDb upcoming page here just for reference, uh, but I know it's not always accurate. Yeah, as far as I know, well, I think the next thing I'm in that's going to come out is I did this uh, film called Unfollowed with Bazlev's company behind like uh, Unfriended and Searching. That's what I'm looking at. Yeah, right yeah. So we did, uh, and we did some reshoots on that recently too, and I think it's going to probably come out pretty, pretty soon. Uh, so I think that's the next thing, and that was a cool process because mm-hmm. I, I guess I shouldn't say too much about it, but it was another one of those like screen life things where it mm-hmm. looks like it's all happening on an app specifically, and so. Um, uh, that was really fun to be a part of that, and the other actors were really great. And endlessly fascinated yeah. by screen I life. I think uh, interesting. Timur was our first ever guest. Oh, no oh, way. Yeah. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to bring up the latest news about him and screen life, where I think he's exploring vertical yeah. formats yeah. In, oh. in projection. So and people, I believe it's so people can watch it on their phone. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's amazing the, the, the yeah. development of that kind of stuff, of how you'll be able to now watch so many things. It's design. Things are now being designed to be watched on your phone, yeah. which I think what, is sort of interesting. What is your take on all of that? It's like also because we're we're about to see the launch of something like Quibi. Do yeah. You, do you personally have a taste for I I don't know like short form you know at short you know chapter content like that. Yeah. We don't <laughs> what, know what, what, what we, it is I don't yet. Know what to call it? <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I think it's the thing that's really got me even more excited about it was actually I've been. Doing talking about doing masterclass and they're kind of like ten minute episodes and so now I found that I've like because I take the, the subway a lot and different things like that and I'll I'll like be able to watch one on the subway I'll be like oh great like mm-hmm. I'll watch this ten minute thing and and I'll find the time and so there are a lot of times it's funny with how on the go we are now because it used to be that what was so convenient about TV is you're like well, I don't really have like two hours but I can put this on for forty five minutes and and work my way through the story and I think that there will be a place for that. With 10 minutes, you know, yeah. I think there will be a like, I'm sitting in the car, it's 10 minutes before I got to go in here, let me just watch another episode of this. So I, I think like we're also at the point where like the lines are so blurred anyway. It's like yeah. movies, TV, web form. It's like as long yeah. as it's good storytelling, exactly. it's worth yeah. watching. And I was talking to someone about this recently. I was thinking about how if you look at like movies and TV and that kind of as like an art form is so new compared to like any other major art form, whether it's, you know, uh, theater or symphony like music or ballet or any any kind of art form like that is like you can go back like to the dawn of like you know it's like civilization and stuff like that was all there like theater and music and and it's evolved and i just think wow i wonder what film is like not even like the talking movie is not even like a hundred years old you know and so you wonder like will it even it's like, you know, if you went to ancient Greece and played somebody, you know, hard rock, they'd be like, I can't even comprehend what this is. And I sometimes wonder if, like, you know, us as people who love cinema, like, if we were to jump forward that far oh, in the yeah. you, you know, it's like, it's like there would probably be some form of film that, like, we would just be like, I don't even know what this is. Like, I can't even comprehend it. Like Black this. Mirror. Episode, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, even, I mean, just like the the structural leaps that have happened since streaming became a thing right. and the way that people are playing with format is, and what's yeah. that, 10 years? Yeah, it it's, amaz- it's amazing. It's amazing. Because I remember when Netflix was like the the service that like sent you yeah. DVDs mm-hmm. and things like that. And I'll, I'll never forget like reading about like this new show, House of Cards, David Fincher. And, and then I'm like, Netflix? It's going to be on Netflix? Like that doesn't, <laughs> They're going to release it all at once, not weekly. I remember being like, that's not a thing. Like, I'm like, that's not, and then it, you know, <laughs> little do we know, it's like, it is the thing now. What was it like being a part of that um, s- distribution model? Um, 
because I have to imagine that it's so much all at once when yeah. the show is released. Does it carry on longer, or do people, like, is the attention span as short as we think it is? Yeah, it is interesting, because it is all out there at once. So it is yeah. a different thing, because you're not interacting with it sort of like week by week. And I do have some friends that are on, like, shows that are week by week, and yeah, it's just a totally different experience where you're interacting you're interacting with it week by week, whether it's via people on social media or just watching it or whereas yeah, when it's all one big eight hour chunk, it's but but I think what's great about that in a weird way is like you kind of get it at different times. People catch up with it at different times, but usually once they're talking about it, they've seen it all, you know? And so that it's it's a little That's bit true. less of like a drawn out sort of thing. I don't know. I don't know if it's good or bad even. I just how, I feel like that's a, it is a bit different, right? And then, yeah. yeah. How intense is the OA fandom still? Because I know that uh, after the cancellation, it was mm-hmm. quite, we yeah. got a little heavy with a hunger strike. and like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, again, I, I freaking adore that show and I'm just devastated. Yeah, it I, it's, it's, and they really did have it planned out for all the five seasons. And I think that's the, like the biggest tragedy for me is that I didn't even know fully like what there. I mean, we had little clues, but I mean, yeah. I didn't even know fully what, where, what that the whole arc of that show was going to be. And like, I know they had it planned, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's a bummer that like we don't get to see it. And and I think that's the thing that it would be hard to wrap it up in now like a couple of hours or something. Yeah. Because it truly was like a meticulously planned. And I think what's cool. I was thinking about this just the other day. I was like. When we were doing the first season of the OA, there was a scene that they sent out at, like, the very, very end. And they were like, oh, this is going to be, like, after the credits of, like, season one. And it was San Francisco. Mm. She was in the place. Homer might have been the doctor. Like, it was all the stuff. And that was, like, when we were doing season one in, like, 2016. Wow. And what's cool is that – and then they they decided not to include it for whatever reason. I don't remember why. But for whatever reason, we watched it. And we're like, oh, you never included that thing. Like, it was only when I watched the season that I was like, oh, you didn't wind up putting that scene at the end after all. And it's so easy to look at the two seasons of The Away and go, wow, they just flipped everything over and went a totally different way and they created this whole new thing. And it's uh, they didn't. That, that yeah. was They knew that's where they were going from the beginning. So this, I'm, I'm sure we would have seen that bear even more fruit if they would have got to it more. Oh, I can't. I'm so heartbroken. I, <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm making it worse. No, you're not. I love to talk about it. But it's, I think about this a lot with that show because part of me is like, tell me the story. I don't care if you do a comic book, <laughs> right, right, a yeah, novel. Yeah. Tell me how the story ends. But then there's... That's the power of like the format of cinema is it really wouldn't be the same experience. And as mm. hungry as I am to know that story in any format, there's something for how it was shot and performed and the, the freaking movements. You yeah. can't do that on the page. Yeah, I, I, I think what's so exciting about the OA and the thing that I'm kind of most proud of being a part of it is is that it's not so many things now you can go, well, it's this meets this. <laughs> it's just this with this little spin. And the OA is not, I mean, you can't yeah. say I'm, the OA is this meets that or it's this thing, but they're just doing it in a different way or they're mixing these two genres very specifically. It's like, it's it all. And something like the movements is so interesting. It's and wild. to incorporate that in something like. It's like, um, it's always up there with Sensate when I think mm. about, you know, because we talk a lot about Netflix becoming this algorithmic content creator and definitely that's a thing. But there's also nowhere else I feel that those two shows would have gotten greenlit right. in the first place. Right. And that's true. That's true of cinema, too, where there's a lot of, you know, films that on Netflix that they they get that extra budget and that extra support. And we get to, like, see 
you know, see them, those kinds of things done on a scale or with the resources that just might not seem financially viable to a studio <laughs> yeah. right now. You know? Even for an iconic filmmaker like Martin Scorsese right. with exactly. The Irishman. Right. Irishman wouldn't have been made anywhere else but there. Exactly, yeah. I have one more movie I want to ask you about on your IMDb page because I see the word camp and I'm like, yes. Oh, yeah. Because I love Sleepaway Camp. Oh, yeah. Does it have anything to do with that camp or is it something else? Uh, sort of. I mean, that was a film, uh, I, I, like I said, I don't. I can't speak to camp. I, I think it's still their figuring that out but that was something that i did at joey king as a good yeah. friend of mine actually and cool uh, cast he, yeah she and she produced that um and we kind of we did that a while oh, and nice. she had a lot of her friends involved and it was really fun and the director josh was, was great but i don't i don't i don't know where we're at with that one oh, that's so cool yeah. that she produced that too yeah she, she's like just one of those rising stars yeah man. Haley knows this too but i get very excited when someone uses like the star power and the name value that they build totally. to yeah. get projects off the ground yeah that totally might not have all gotten off the yeah ground no i definitely them. think she's she definitely has her eye on sort of making sure she's shepherding her own projects as well, which is pretty cool. That Smart. is cool. Yeah. I have one thing on your uh, resume I wanted to ask about from 2011. I'm a, a known fan of the Buddies franchise. Oh, my. <laughs> did you get to play with the dogs? Uh, yeah, that was, you know, that was a very, it's so How funny because someone, someone brought that up recently actually as well. That was like a one-day role. So, no, I wasn't, that was like a very, like, I know. It's you didn't all, I get mean, to live the Buddies fantasy. No, so it's, it's you know, it's so interesting uh, that, they started doing all those buddy things like snow buddies and all this different stuff uh, right around the time that I had like first got my like Vancouver agent and was like auditioning and I was like the right sort of age. And so I, I auditioned for so many of those <laughs> yes. buddies movies. But I, I and funnily enough, that was the only one uh, it was like I was in Vancouver and that point I'd moved to do the show. So I was a local and uh, to do Mr. Young and uh yeah, I just like it's like it's like a one. It's like I think I'm just like some punk kid smashing a pumpkin, nice. and then like the ghostly buddies like blow my hair back. It was like literally like we're talking like eight hours on set. So, so unfortunately, I don't have much of a I don't have much of a buddies. I don't. That's All not one I of the want more uh, is juicy to hang things. out with one of those groups of buddies, space buddies, super buddies, yeah. spooky buddies. Give me the dogs. Even you just saying space buddies like gives me flashbacks to doing audition tapes as a kid. Like it's hilarious. I'm like I remember when I auditioned for that. Those are my like if I am truly dying sick or dying hungover, I put on a buddies movie. Oh, wow, I've never tried that. Maybe that's oh, a way to del- cure my hangovers. It's just little dogs being cute. I'll try it Sunday yeah. morning, and don't forget. Yeah, that uh, Saturday night, I'm going to ask you to do uh, to do your OA movements. Okay. All right, I'm, Actually, I'm preparing you in advance. Yeah. It happens sometimes with different people where they like, you know. I remember there was even an actor in the second season that came up to us and who worked on the second season. She was like, "I, I know the movements, boom!" And she just yeah. like, went right <laughs> in and I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> Most people are still better than I am, you know. Like I said, I'm not sure I ever I got there. Some version of it. Do they at all feel like a bicycle thing where you could probably? do an approximation of them at any point in your life now? I think so. We yeah. rehearsed them so much <laughs> that I do think that I could do it in sequence any moment. I just think it would not be very good. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, a, I think I remember good skill to have whole, though. I don't know, maybe. I can't remember. I haven't done them in a while. Clearly I haven't. Haley's been t- telling me to catch up on the OA and then all that happened and I'm like, is it just going to hurt to start and know it's going to end? But just curious, is it is it like, can we put you in the middle of like Hollywood and say like go and then film it from afar? 
Like just to see how people react how people, if you do the mo- if you do the movement. That's funny. <laughs> there was one, right? Ideas. There was a flash mob. Yeah, a I couple think there of them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There were a few. But around, I yeah. believe those people like train a yeah. lot in advance yes. before they go out and do that. I they see did. What happens. They Somebody has to have a workout program around it because no it kidding. really is like maybe was, that's yeah. maybe that's my in because it's a weird combination yeah. of like yoga and movement. It's and really far. I'm out. a bad dancer. I know, but the fact that you don't like dancing either gives me a little encouragement that maybe I could get into it. Like I said, I. I've never been more convinced that like, I was going to be fired. And I was like, and I was so, I was so scared. That always freaks me out about getting cast in roles too, because it's like, yes, acting is like skill set number one. But what if it's like, I don't know, just like a very basic thing like, yeah. that you can't do. Like, what if right. I scored the dream role of a lifetime and someone said to me, you got to sing in this movie. I'm yeah. like, fuck, I'm out of here. I know. That was, well, that was like this. I was all excited. <laughs> and then I got there and I was like, but they did not mention that, that at all. So they did not mention that at all. There was, I did a meeting with Britain's all when I was auditioning and they they never once were like hey are you can you move like they never <laughs> once said like do you have a dancer or anything so that was my only hope where I'm like they never asked like they probably <laughs> wanted people who don't look like dancers right? right that's kind of the point yeah and I think I think that there is something to be said for I mean the direction was always like it's more about you believe in the movement right. more than you know but there was certainly but the thing that was kind of the thing that was kind of fun about that is is that the the characters are learning them through the process of the scenes as well. Yeah. And we didn't shoot the final scene of this, the first season really was like one of the last things that we shot. That's cool. And it, it actually was one of those times where like the way that they shot it there, the, the first season feels like the, the guys or the boys are like training for some kind of mission and like learning because they'll be called upon to do it. And weirdly enough, the whole f- first shoot felt a bit like that. Mm. It actually mirrored that in real life where we were learning these movements knowing that we had this big scene right. at the end that was going to like – we were going to have to deliver. So It's it so odd. That cool. scene when I first saw it, I definitely was one of the people that was like, I, I don't know, yeah. man. That's weird. But <laughs> now having completely fallen in love with the show, which the second yeah. season sort of affirmed for me when I got a bigger sense of the story mm-hmm. – I cannot watch that scene without crying. Yeah, impossible. It, to it is kind of a wild, a wild scene, and that was definitely something that I discovered reading the scripts for the first time. They did not hint that to me. Obviously, they wouldn't because I didn't have the part yet. So in the meeting, they didn't hint it at all, right? Yeah. Uh, and that was, but uh, and I remember, I think Zal and Britt have talked about this, and I think more and more the idea of combating like violence with something that isn't like aggression back is like very, very like meaningful whether or not the ending totally works for you yeah. that sentiment it is like now. for you now it does yeah but i mean even yeah. for other people like even if right. you don't there is something really really like profound about that that i even feel like even years later i'm like there's something really wonderful about like someone comes at you with aggression and then you don't go back you sort of like channel love because they're belief because you're still love. committing and you're still doing an action but you're not it's not an act of aggression yeah you know? it's really beautiful my last oa thing i'll say because i know we're running out of time here uh, I may have already told you this, but I met Brennan for the first time at, or, or like had our first real conversation at the free for all. Yeah, yeah. And I had just binged season two of the OA mm-hmm. and the second season ends in a way it's in like an interdimensional show that sort of bridges a gap between the show and reality in a little bit. So then I walk into the room and see him. <laughs> and I was just like, "What's happening?" Oh, he's in your uh, in your okay. world. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna watch. I feel like I've been saying this to you in particular yeah. long enough at this point. I need to I need to binge watch. Yeah, the, a good the, one. the there's a lot. I think even in those two seasons is great. You know, there's a new character they introduced in the second season too, who kind of is like one of the main characters of the second season, and uh, and he kind of gets like a full 
story actually yeah. so uh, the second season right, if you look it. at it even from his perspective like he actually has like a whole arc through that and they devote a lot of time to him and so I think the second if you want to look at it just purely from that yeah. it's pretty satisfying Netflix is downloadable so that's I have true. no excuse that's, that's always, right that's always right my there. thing is that when it's downloadable it makes it so much more I'm accessible than everything alone else alone on a crowded plane you got the buddies comment so I'm stealing <laughs> one of two questions right now <laughs> we always ask this of all of our guests yeah. do you have any pets I do. So I, I had a dog and a cat growing up. Uh, the dog's no longer with us, but I have a cat still, yeah. What's the cat's name? Friskles. Friskles. And the dog's name was Dr. <laughs> Phil, actually. Oh, wow. Oh, my yeah. God. Was yeah. he rude? <laughs> <laughs> was he invasive about your private issues? <laughs> I don't know, Dr. Phil. He could be lovely in person. I've uh, only seen the show. I don't know. All, all, I know is like, all I know is like he became Phil pretty quickly. Yeah. Because you're at the dog oh, park and you're like, hey, Dr. Phil. You're like, no, oh. no. He's Phil oh now. God. Like you're not gonna yell that out in a public space <laughs> anymore. You know, I was when I was young. It was my idea. It was like it was like if, if we got a, a girl dog, I was gonna name it Oprah. Like I had this idea that it was like a funny thing to do. <laughs> and I mean, I was like pretty I young, so I didn't even like have that. like it's a, fun. I didn't even have like a. You could go on and on. Yeah. Like I feel like uh, you you should get another dog and name her Kelly Clarkson now. <laughs> <laughs> like a little forty year old virgin in there too. A dog. <laughs> 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 Lots of fun to be had. <laughs> All right. Question number two. Question number two is uh, <laughs> what have you watched, listened to, read, played, game, whatever that's in the genre sphere that you're really excited about lately? It can be old, new. Yeah. I was thinking about this. I, I actually just watched um, a film that I really – there's a couple actually like older – genre films like 60s films that I thought really really held up if you're saying uh, Wait Until Dark you know, yeah. Audrey Hepburn which I thought was yeah. so awesome yeah it held up so so well and it's like uh, for people who don't anyone who's listening that doesn't know it's it's Audrey Hepburn there's like this um, cocaine is smuggled in this doll uh, and, and they're trying to smuggle it across the border from like Canada to the US and then long story short the doll winds up in the hands of this like guy because the woman the woman who's smuggling it realizes she's going to be caught so she gives it to this random stranger and so this doll is somewhere in the house of this couple and the 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 wife is audrey hepburn but she's blind and so these people show up to try to like get the doll back but we don't even know as an audience like it's not like sitting on a shelf right so they can't just go in and steal it so they have and what it's such an ingeniously written movie i think in that the way that they use the fact that she's blind both to show the intelligence of the plan and how they try to manipulate her around how she's blind and how they're able, and also then how she's able to use uh, being blind to her advantage and the, the way that gives her also an advantage over them or how she works around it. It's really clever. It's really a great movie. Yeah. That's a good point. I've never seen it. Oh. Yeah, I just Another watched thing. it for the first time a couple weeks ago, like, randomly. Another thing going on my list, but Haley, before we leave, you should check your Slack because I just put something important on your reading list. Slack on my reading list? <laughs> I don't look at Slack when click, we're podcasting. On, just click on the link that I just sent you. Oh, oh uh-oh. <laughs> oh, no. We've got a C, a B, and a D it's here. A CD, oh, the classic CDB. Or CDB. I, I can't it's read. It's a real thing. No, CDB. That's something else. <laughs> <laughs> that helps Wait. me sleep. And w- w- what is that one? N R E S. What is this thing N- that you stumbled? <laughs> what is this thing? 
And I, I don't, yeah, I, I can't decipher the for code. Who's deeply code confused, this is the book Perry was talking about. Kid. I'm just so impressed you found it. It's a real thing. NQ equals this thank like, you. Yeah, yeah the like receipts, Perry. You, you know, I, 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 you started just you, saying could, random letters, and I thought, I don't know. I could go to but my you parents have the receipts. house and pull out the hard copy wow. still of this book. I think the next episode of The Witch Hour, you have to like have it behind you. <laughs> a live reading. The next time I go, in, go to New York, do not forget. I will bring it back and I will live read. A cha- <laughs> there are even chapters in this book. Oh, God, the audio book. You should find the audio book. I should do the, should audio, do the audio book. book yes. of CBD. I'm going to be like cackling and laughing the entire time. It's going to be a problem. All right. Thank you so much. Yes. Oh, no, thank you guys. Today. Oh, thanks for having me on. This was Where great. can everyone find you on the interwebs? Is yeah. it Instagram, uh, Twitter, anything? Yeah. Uh, so my Twitter and Instagram are both uh, Brendan K.J. Meyer, because I have two middle names, Kurt and James, so that's why. Fancy. KJ. Yeah, Brendan K.J. Meyer on both those. Yep. And Haley? Uh, you can find me at Haystack McGroovy on Instagram and Haley Fouch on Twitter. And uh, I am uh, P. Nemeroff on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you again yeah. for oh, no, being thank you here guys. with us awesome. today. Thank you to everybody out there watching and listening. You have officially survived the witching hour. <laughs> Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831.20. It's that little chico pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From negative to positive. Brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game. So that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.